Okay, so after spending quite a big chunk of time exploring the first establishment of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body, this afternoon I'd like to move on to the second of the four, which is mindfulness of feeling tone, or Vedana, to use the Pali word. And feeling tone is a slightly technical term that refers to just that bare recognition of any experience at any of the sense doors as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. For example, right now, the heat in here, for some of you, that might register as pleasant. For some of you, it might register as unpleasant. For some of you, you may not have even noticed it. Neutral. So the Buddha was a master at deconstructing our experience so that we can more easily understand, one, how we do get caught in it, and two, how to not get caught in it again in the future. So one translation of the Pali word vipassana, the word that's usually translated as insight, is actually seeing separately or seeing distinctly. In other words, seeing the different components or parts of our experience that go into, usually, creating a sense of me, mine, who I am. So this practice is a strategy of breaking apart all these different components of our experience into their individual bits, because each individual bit is usually a bit more manageable than when the whole, than the full catastrophe, as one of the book titles goes. So, one analogy for this is, as I think many of you have experienced, especially on retreat, at least for me this is heightened, I often feel like when I'm on retreat, I'm a meditator, doing my meditator business, starring in the movie of the meditator. So I wake up in the morning and the movie camera starts rolling and here I am, the meditator on retreat, going off to breakfast, meditator eating my breakfast, coming into the hall, meditator doing their good meditation or bad meditation. And it's like we create this whole story out of our lives. And we put ourselves in the center of it as the star. And we write the script and we produce the movie and we finance it and we do the scenery and we get involved in every single aspect of it. And we get completely, so completely lost in the story that we don't even recognize that it is a movie. And so by this analogy, it's like the Buddha is inviting us to turn our attention to the movie screen, away from the movie screen, to the projector, and to see the mechanism that's creating this whole story. So if you've been to the movies and you've had that experience, you know, we're completely absorbed in the story, and then something happens that we, for a moment, we snap out of our fascination with the screen. Perhaps we do turn and look at the projector, and we go, oh, it's just a movie. And we come back to the story, but we're not quite as enchanted with it, not quite as convinced by it anymore. 
So a lot of our Vipassana practice is about helping us see through this constantly constructing, fabricating, concocting, proliferating of stories all centered around me. At any moment in time, though, if we start to look more carefully at our experience, there's only one of six things happening. Anybody able to name what any one of those six things might be? Miriam? Yeah, a sight, seeing. Thinking, yes, she says ruefully. (laughs) Seeing, thinking, what else? Hearing. What else? Sense doors, I'll give you a clue. Tasting, smelling, one more. Touching, that's it. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought. That's all that's ever happening in any moment. I like to ask sometimes, anybody had any experience that wasn't one of those six things? Depends what thinking means. Mental activity. So any kind of mental activity. No. Well, keep on listening. This is what this whole exploration is about. This whole retreat is about that. So we have these six sense bases. We have what the Buddha called contact at the sense doors. So we see a visible object. We hear a sound. We feel a sensation and so on. And then immediately, automatically, our biology recognizes that contact as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's what feeling tone is referring to, just that basic hit of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Before we complexify it into liking or not liking, resisting, not wanting, I hate it, I love it, and so on. Just knowing, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Wyatt. So you said at any moment there's only one thing happening. So I feel like I'm looking at you right now. So yes. I'm seeing, but I'm also hearing. Yes. Yeah. The attention is going, My, you know, we're talking about mind moments that are tiny. So in neuroscience they can measure, you know, tiny divisions of seconds. So when I say moments, that's what I'm meaning, just this faster than probably our intellect can comprehend it a lot of the time. So that's the other piece that you're pointing to is that we're we're editing and censoring and only picking up, paying attention to a fairly small amount of the actual sense data that's coming in. So you hear my voice, Perception forms words, and then there's also probably a little flickering graph of light of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So, just to use an example of words, they're a little bit more complex than senses, but if I say three words, you hear those three words, you might notice with each word probably some pulse of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay, pus. Paris, Pythagoras, (laughs) just three random words I picked out of the air. Did you notice just a little hit of something? 
that there was a different response to each of those words. So that's usually going on just below the level of consciousness all the time. And what happens when you realize your pages are completely out of order, you're going to lose the thread of the talk. So you might need to give me a moment. Interesting. So, what we, the interesting thing about feeling tone is it's part of our biological responsiveness. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't actually control it. It's just going on all the time. But what we can do something about is what happens next in this chain of the cognitive process. So, usually, if something is pleasant, this is pretty common sense and basic. If it's pleasant, we like it, we want to hold on to it, we want it to continue, we want to prolong it, we want to enhance it. Conversely, if it's unpleasant, get it away from me, resist it, dislike it, try to avoid it, try to get rid of it. If it's, unple- Sorry, if it's neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, then usually we just space out, we disconnect, we don't register it, we just unconsciously ignore it. So these three feeling tones are the basic building blocks or drivers of all of our responses to the world around us. And I don't know about for you, but when I first started to explore this, I found it a bit humiliating (laughs) Because I used to think that I was a sophisticated human being with all these mature responses and intelligent kind of decisions. But when we really tune into feeling tone, we see that we're just being driven by pleasant, unpleasant, neutral pretty much every moment of the day. Just like an amoeba. An amoeba blobs towards what it thinks is going to feed it, blobs away from what it thinks is threatening, or just blobs generally when nothing much is going on. So after you leave here, you might want to explore that and see, is that true? So feeling tone, I just want to clarify. Sometimes you'll see this uh, word Vedana translated as feelings, but I prefer to translate it as feeling tone because in English the word feelings can also mean emotions. And what we're talking about here is a more basic level before something gets complexified into an emotion. And the point is that we can change that response. So if we're aware... And sometimes we can see this on retreat. If we're sitting with knee pain and we're going pain, 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 and we have enough presence of mind to recognize it's just unpleasant feeling tone. Oh, it's just unpleasant feeling tone. That's all. Likewise, craving, just that longing, longing, wanting pleasant You can notice it's just pleasant feeling tone. 
And when we take that bite of delicious pizza or whatever it was, we can know, oh, it's a pleasant feeling tone. And it loses some of that graspy, sticky kind of quality to it. So, these three pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, they're the building blocks of all our reactivity. And they very easily get complexified when there is no mindfulness into what the Buddha called the three root poisons or the three core afflictive energies. Some of you are familiar with the the wheel of life. You see it more in Tibetan tanka paintings and things at the core of this wheel, the wheel of samsara, this sense of us getting caught and going round and round and round in the same old, same old. If we are able to look carefully at the center of this driving, is some combination of greed, of hatred, of delusion. Now those are heavy words, but each one of them covers a whole spectrum from the most gross and intense through to the most subtle. So when we talk about greed, we mean anything from that intense addictive craving right through to just that subtle sense of mm, nice wanting. Likewise with what we call hatred or aversion that covers the most intense murderous rage at one extreme through to just that little niggling irritation. And this aversion also includes all forms of fear. So it's anger and fear, anything that, any sort of energy of pushing away. So again, the fear can be the most intense sort of terror through to just little flickers of anxiety. And then the third one, ignorance or delusion, is again the, from the most intense, willful disconnection with reality through to sometimes, the way I experience it is sometimes in the morning, just that oh, wanting to pull the covers up and shut the world out. That's a more subtle form of ignorance or delusion. So just to name that these three, although we call them poisons and defilements and all of that kind of thing, the Buddha was very clear that they're not our inherent nature. They visit due to causes and conditions. And because they're dependent on causes and conditions, we can change those causes and conditions. So last night I was talking about sukha, happiness, and how we can, on retreat, set up the conditions that allow happiness to arise. Likewise, in some ways, the whole of the retreat project is about de-nourishing the conditions that give rise to greed, hatred, and delusion, and strengthening the conditions that give, arise, that give rise to skillful states of mind. So in a nutshell, that's the whole of what we're doing here, Releasing the unskillful, strengthening the skillful. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. 
So causes and conditions um, is basically all all that we're experiencing. So we have, say, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, It's a basic example. Say I know that I'm a little bit prone to hypoglycemia. And if I get low blood sugar, I find myself getting irritable and cranky. (laughs) Because I have that understanding and knowledge, maybe I take a banana in the morning and I store it and I eat it mid-morning just to give the blood sugar so that I've changed the causes and conditions that normally would cause me to get irritable. Yeah, it's just, sorry, that's kind of a stock phrase that appears a lot. It's just pointing to the interplay that everything is conditioned. Nothing happens in a vacuum, in isolation. Everything is an interplay of experiences and our response to them and so on. Is that a bit clearer? Yeah, no, no, that's good. Great. Thanks for the question. So, yeah, go ahead. But you said that the the Vedana itself is conditioned. Yes. And it might not be a conscious conditioning. It's totally not conscious. Well, no, it's not conscious. But it can, that Vedana in response to a a particular stimulus can be changed, or the Vedana can't be changed, but your reaction to the Vedana. There's always going to be some kind of Vedana. But so, for example, maybe what you're pointing to is like music. You know, some types of music, some people find extremely pleasant. The person sitting in the room next to them, same music, has a completely different response because for them the Vedana has been conditioned to find, say, heavy metal unpleasant, not pleasant. But there'll still be Vedana. And knowing the Vedana, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, We can know, okay, that guy's playing heavy metal. (laughs) To me, it's unpleasant. To him, it's pleasant. We can even try and experience it from his perspective and see that it's not an absolute truth that heavy metal music is abhorrent. (laughs) You know, we can actually open up our experience to see this is conditioned and I don't have to believe my reaction to it as a given. Does that make sense? Yeah. Miriam? I just said... It can change, can't it? Yes. So at some point, you might actually start to appreciate heavy metal. You spend so much time listening to this guy's music through his headphones that you end up getting used to it and enjoying it. A silly example, but yeah, 80. If you apply that to anything in life, then you can make anything all right. That's right. But I mean, like, I think there's some things in life that aren't all right. Okay, so... In society, you would say that they're not right as well. Yeah, no, we're... Okay, so we're not trying to change... We're not trying to just turn everything into a neutral response. The f- what we're trying to do is see how the feeling tone conditions different kinds of reactivity and, where necessary, change that reactivity to be skillful, to be a skillful response rather than a reaction so, for example, yeah, you're pointing to maybe something, somebody's behaving unethically. We don't just go, oh, yeah, unpleasant feeling tone, unpleasant feeling tone. We might feel the surge of anger. We might release the anger and then go and say to them, that is completely not on. Depending on the circumstances, we make a skillful decision. But our minds are not clouded by all kinds of reactivity and self-righteousness and so on. So 
So if you end up feeling crap about stuff, yeah. then you're saying it's really because you haven't got the skill, you haven't developed the skill stuff to um, deal with the feeling tone or, or put it into perspective or whatever. In the bigger picture, yeah. But that's just, that's a really high bar. You know, I was on retreat at the Forest Refuge a few years ago and just going back to a very complex, painful experience I'd had earlier, like four or five years earlier. And it was kind of like, why am I still dealing with this? And I just started to pay attention to the feeling tone. And I realized that the initial set of circumstances that had triggered this whole very complex issue had been unpleasant. And I just started to realize, oh, hearing unpleasant words, feeling an unpleasant physical sensation in the body, (laughs) seeing an unpleasant facial expression on the other person's face, feeling another surge of unpleasant emotional response in my body. And the whole cascade that created this kind of world that I then stepped into and and inhabited it as if it was reality. But you're talking about a memory, Joe, right? You're talking about yes. you, you were engaging with a memory. Yes, 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 yes. of the memory. Yes, yes. And thinking it was kind of reacting like it was still happening. Well, no, I was I was contemplating it at that point. Right. So I was just trying to break it down retrospectively. So it was an intellectual exercise uh-huh. to see how might it have been if in that whole event I could have just heard unpleasant words, felt unpleasant emotion, recognized there was some reactivity, noticed an unpleasant facial expression and so on. If I'd been able to stay with all of it at that more simple level before I identified with it and they identified with it and together we created this whole sometimes they talk about a karmic knot this whole kind of fabrication there was a kind of an intellectual exercise but it showed me the strength of feeling tone to create these worlds that we then take as absolute reality and for me that was the interesting piece Liz so I'm understanding Yeah. But our reaction or our reactivity to it is the one thing that we can um, look at or change. Yes. So some degree of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is given. Yes. And then how much we complexify that into an emotional response and take it personally and identify with it and believe it to be true and solid and permanent, that's the piece we have control over. Okay, so in neuroscience terms, you probably have heard the adage that neurons that fire together wire together. So part of the implication of this is that if we don't keep seeing these kind of unconscious default reactions, we keep creating stronger grooves in the mind. So for example, some of us have a tendency to be more aversive because we've unconsciously let the aversion reaction uh, get stronger. Some of us are much more greed types. We're oriented to looking for what's pleasant. Some of us are what we call deluded types. We don't quite register what's going on. And so over time, we sort of 
solidify into a, a default orientation. Of course, all of us are all three of these at different times, but it can be useful to get a sense of if you do have one of these stronger than the other so that you can perhaps apply more of the antidotes. So sometimes um, you may have heard me talk about this before, but to get a sense of whether you're what's traditionally known as a greed type, an aversive type or a deluded type, you can notice what's your response to hearing about these this categorization into these three personality types. So for some people, there's a common response of, oh, wow, three personality types, that's interesting. I wonder what kind I might be. I wonder if there's a book that I could read about this. Or maybe there's some Dharma talks I could listen to online because I think that sounds really interesting. Other people hear it and go, that's ridiculous. Three personality types. Human beings are far more complicated than that. What a stupid system. I'm not even going to bother with it. And a third common response is, huh, three, what were they again? Greed, hatred. There was another one. I don't know. Am I greed? Am I hatred? What was that third one again? So you probably got a sense of those default responses of greed, of hatred, of delusion, just to the idea of the personality types. So, for example, if you know that you're a hatred type, and again, this is interesting in, in the Vasudhimaga, which is a later text, a few hundred years after the time of the Buddha, it says for people on retreat or people practicing, if you're a greed type, you should stay in a hut that is broken down and decrepit and not very pleasing because otherwise if you're in a palatial beautiful hut you'll just kind of stay there all day and you won't get won't get motivated to practice on the other hand if you're an aversive type you should be in a very pleasant um, soothing hut otherwise your aversion will just get irritated and you won't be able to practice and if you're a deluded type, you should be in a hut with no windows because otherwise you'll just be staring out of the window all day. <laughs> so, you know, these are kind of simplistic, slightly humorous examples. But, you know, with that little bit of knowledge about what our default orientation is, we can perhaps begin to uh, release some of that conditioning. So that's... Uh, a bit of a longer overview than I was anticipating. I'd like to explore this uh, working together in pairs again, and this will be optional. So if you would rather maintain silence, then you're welcome to just uh, go and do your own practice. But if you'd like to um, do some more dyad work. This will be the last uh, session of interactive practice until towards the end of the retreat. So just take a moment to choose. And if you want to maintain silence, you're welcome to disappear. <laughs> 